Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study, coming to you from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Thank you for joining us. We are in the Gospel of John. We're going to get into chapter 7 uh, today. If you've missed any of our study of the Gospel of John, you can certainly go back and find it on the Rick and Bubba Podcast channel, or you can go to this YouTube channel. If you're watching, click on Playlist, and they'll all be listed there for you. If you're wanting to find a Bible study that goes further back than we have archived them on the YouTube channel, you can go to BurgessMinistries.com. It'll be audio only, but you can click on the listen button there and you can go back for the last few years and pick up any Bible study that you may be interested in. Uh, programming note, we will be here uh, next Wednesday. I know that's a big travel day for a lot of people uh, and uh, I will be in town, so it's not problematic here and we will just uh, be fine with studying this with those that can attend. If you're on the road, then grab the archive and, and listen to that while you're out traveling around. But we will uh, be here for the Wednesday Bible study coming up next Wednesday. So let's open up with a word of prayer and then let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. I pray, Lord, that you will, will guide me and, and help me to overcome uh, uh, all the things that are inefficient in, in my abilities uh, to, to do something like deliver your word. Uh, so supernaturally, Lord, I pray that you will get to, into the hearts of all of us exactly what you desire. Uh, and uh, you, are, uh, you have a perfect message, and I am an imperfect messenger. So, Lord, please give me uh, grace and mercy and allow me to glorify you today. Uh, and I pray that you'll continue to, to teach us who you are. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to, to listen to the instructions you've given us on, on how we respond to what you have done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And today, Lord, I pray that you help us with, with the topic that we will be dealing with today, and that is skepticism and uncertainty about you. And Lord, may we not have neither. But in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today uh, in chapter 7. Uh, if you remember, uh, leaving last week, let's, let's kind of land on last week's ending theme and then carry it into this chapter. And that was that we know that Jesus, uh, they, they estimated he, he had about 120 uh, disciples outside of the original 12. And he began to talk about eating flesh and drinking blood and using the analogy, uh, the, the teaching. If you remember, they said, hey, this teaching is harsh. Uh, and, and, and we talked about that. He looks at the 12 who are still with him. He says, are you going to leave too? Uh, Peter says, where else would we go? Uh, and, and then, of course, he says, I, I still have the original 12. We're now back to 12. Uh, one of you is a devil. He was talking about uh, Judas, who would eventually betray him. Uh, but, the, but the thing that we took away is that you find Jesus, when Jesus, when the numbers of people following Jesus grew, he did not make his message easier and more palatable. Um, you know, because sometimes remember what the great Adrian Rogers once said, you know, the, the, there's cert certainly nothing wrong with uh, a church having big numbers, but there's also nothing really right about it either, uh, really, because if it's just about crowds, P.T. Barnum was always very good at drawing a crowd, but it was just a circus. Uh, so what Je Jesus was not about drawing a crowd. What Jesus was about is telling the truth. And if you were willing to uh, consume the truth, then, then certainly you, you could be one of his. But, but what he did when you, is is to take us and say, if you really want to follow me, I'm going to tell you exactly what that's going to require and what that's really going to be like. And then I'm going to ask you, are you still in? I can remember this very vividly, uh, learning from my dad. And, and thanks for all your prayers about this past weekend, uh, you know, with dad being, being honored at Auburn University about that induction into the Alabama Hall of Fame. That went great. And, and one of the things that 
I loved and I learned from my dad uh, being a leader and you see Jesus implementing the same thing is that if you want to lead, always let everybody know who says they want to be part of what you're doing. Say, well, let me tell you on the front end what that's going to look like. And then you got to decide if you still want to be here. What I'm not going to do is, is, to, is to give you a message that, that isn't quite accurate and you become disillusioned in the middle of it. I'm going to tell you before we ever get started what this is like. And then when these things start happening, you can't come to me and say, I didn't know about this. And I remember he would say at the end of his, of, of his speech about how things were going to operate if you were on his team. And he said, so right now you need to make the decision whether you want to be with us or not. This would be a good time for you to exit if what I said this is going to require doesn't sound like something you're willing to do. And then, of course, he would add, then you can go up into the stands at the ball game and tell her about how great a player you could have been if I hadn't been so mean. Uh, and, uh, if, you know, if I hadn't treated you poorly or whatever. And so what Jesus is saying is this is what it takes. And remember, we ended last week on where, where we're going to go now is that these people really turned away from him basically and, and clearly, is they said, you're not what we want you to be. And if Jesus won't be what I want him to be, then I don't want anything to do with him. And can I just tell you that, that if you're looking around, that's going on everywhere. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at what's going on now, and I'm thinking we might get into First and Second Peter. I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about doing that possibly next because you see in Second Peter, he's talking about these false teachers. And he's talking about these false prophets. And he's talking about all these people that have pretended to be part of the faith. They're going to reveal to you that they really aren't. And as the times we get closer to the end days, it's just going to get worse. There's going to be bad theology, then there's going to be horrible theology, then there's going to be blasphemous theology, and all these people are going to try to give you a, a version of, of our faith that isn't correct. And you've got to be able to know how to discern that. Well, that's what we're jumping into in, in 7, skepticism and uncertainty about Jesus. So let's look at chapter 7, and we'll get started, verse 1 and 2. After this... Jesus went uh, about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booths was, was at hand. So what, what we have going on here, the, the feast of the booths, that was... Um, um, that means the year was about to end, so they're getting toward the end of the Jewish calendar. This was about a celebration of the gathering of the harvest. It went on for seven days. As a matter of fact, one of the you know people who documented the history, if you've ever read the writings of Josephus, you find the historical confirmation of all these things that were going on that he was documenting, and he was not a believer. But he said that this was the most popular of all the feasts because the rural areas, they would go out and they would make these, they do these makeshift structures and they, it was kind of like camping out and I hate to camp, so I would have hated this feast, uh, but they would, they would, they would all camp out and, and, uh, and they would build all these little dwellings and, they, and some of them were representing that they were, they were putting up, uh, you know, the, the, the separating the 40 years of how they lived out in the desert and how, uh, the, you know, when the Israelites were following Moses and they had to always be in these, these part, you know, part-time structures because they were, they were always on the move. Uh, and then they had, which is interesting, uh, it, also, the, the farmers, when they would go out to get their harvest, they would have to build temporary dwellings to be out there to get the harvest. And this is a celebration of that. Now, interesting about the Feast of the Booths that ties into today, there also was a water drawing uh, rite 
that, and also they did a lamp lighting rite. Uh, and you're going to see Jesus refer to this when we get to the end in, in verse 35, and he'll talk about it again in, in 8. So part of this feast, you're going to, we'll talk about this ritual coming up, involved drawing of water and also lighting lamps. So light and water are going to be two big themes uh, in the Feast of the Booth. So, so he knows that there's going to be a massive crowd in Judea, and he knows the Jews are seeking to kill him. And, and so he, he knew that was about to happen. So next he says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. Now who are these brothers? Well, most everybody believes what he's talking about. He's talking about his earthly brothers. He's talking about the other sons of Mary and Joseph. These will be his younger earthly brothers. And we know it's documented. They do not believe he is the Christ. They do not believe he is a Messiah. And they do not believe that their brother is God. They're not believers at all. And, and, and we find out that they become believers after the resurrection. Uh, that's why we get the book of James, and that's why we get the book of Jude, is that his earthly brothers did become believers that he was God, but not until after the resurrection. So these are, and, and if, if, if you don't believe that, the fact that they're not believers, we know that he is not referring to his brothers here as anybody other than Mary and Joseph, uh, because they do not believe in him. And, and, and they're talking about this. Now, if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, flip over real quick to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. And this is, this, there's, this is a big statement for all of us, especially when dealing with our biological family members. So we know in Matthew 12 that, that Jesus' mother and his earthly brothers were there to come, to come pull him away, again, telling everybody that he is God. And it says in verse 46, While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples... And keep in mind, here in 7, they're saying, go there and let your disciples, they're not saying they're disciples, go there and let your disciples get a big crowd, get a big, you need to get a big public crowd right now. Everybody thinks you're crazy. You got to do something that's going to win some people over. You haven't won us over yet. Why would you not go there if you're really trying to show that you're God? Why would you do this privately? And we'll talk about that here in a minute. So here's what Jesus said about his family. Look at this in Matthew 12, now getting to 49 and 50. Here are my mother and my brothers, pointing to his disciples. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Hey, you may be... You may think you're connected to me biologically, but if you reject Jesus, and, and, and this applies to us, you know who our family really is? The other followers of Jesus. If you've got a family member that rejects Jesus, that's not your family. I mean, you certainly might want to interact with them. It's, it's some worldly version of family, but it's not true family spiritually. And Jesus makes this very clear. If these earthly brothers of mine continue to reject me, they're not my family. If, if my parents reject Jesus, they're not my mother and father. Do y'all hear this? Now, now, again, remember some of this teaching of Jesus is harsh. And I think what we find a lot of times is we find people compromising Jesus to, to appease their biological family. And they almost have this feeling that family, 
talking about biologically, supersedes everything. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Anybody who rejects Jesus is not my family. Uh, my family are the fellow believers in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean I don't care about them. It doesn't mean I won't continue to try to make them a true member of my family. But when it comes down to rejecting Jesus, I don't care who you are. If you ask me to choose Jesus or you, I'm going to choose Jesus. Amen. Every time. It's not even, a, it's not even a, something I have to ponder. Why? Because I've already been told to do it. I mean, I already know what to do. You know, we were talking about today about, you know, we talk about a lot of times when it comes to sin. And today we're talking about sexual purity and people asking parenting, what do you do dealing when you get to the point of having that talk with your children? And I said, well, this is one of those things that it, there's got to be some spiritual element to it. Because if all you're doing is telling your kids don't do this because they might get pregnant or get somebody pregnant or they're going to catch some disease or this is not the person you may not end up marrying. None of those things work. Because, you know, everybody says, well, that's not going to happen to me. If there's not a spiritual element saying don't blaspheme God by compromising his standard, I would love to have been taught that as a child. Not this is going to get you in trouble. Because then what happens if you make a decision that you said, well, I already know what to do before I'm ever in that situation. Those decisions seem to go a lot better. If you're just making it up as you go, then you usually always fail. Well, I'll see what happens when it gets there, but what's the standard? Well, I don't really have a standard. Somebody said something about unwanted pregnancy or I might get a disease or uh, this might be somebody else's wife one day. No, what it, the reason why that we don't compromise our sexual purity is because God said not to. And he said, anybody who belongs to me doesn't do that. Now, if that's happened in your life, then we certainly can be redeemed and then we're made as pure as we ever were before. But you then don't say, thank you for forgiving me and now go back and do it again. Because, because then what does the Bible say? Now you don't have an excuse anymore. So Jesus is clarifying, if you want my real family, and, and think about what he says over here in Matthew 12, all those who do the will of my Father. Does anybody know where, that, where else we hear that in the Bible? Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Many will say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, do mighty works in your name, cast out demons in your name? And I'll say, I never knew you. Well, you know what he's saying? You're not family. Only those who do the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, if you ever want to know who the false prophets are, the false teachers, and the false family members, just watch how they live their life. And if you don't see them doing the will of my Father, they're not with us. I don't care what they say. Not that their obedience and, and their commitment to the will of the Father and all the things the Bible says is the will of the Father and the will of God but they can't have encountered me and then reject the will of God. They can't. So they don't belong to us and they're not family. So, so he's clarifying that here. And here's the reason why you know that this is, is the case as well is look what he says now. So Jesus' brothers, we know what to refer to. So look, look what they say to him. For, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. They're really calling him out. You see, this makes us doubt you even more, uh, son of God. So here's this giant crowd in Judea. Why are you not going there and stand before this giant crowd? This is a great platform for you to do these, these signs and miracles you've been doing. We want you to go. This is where you need to go. And what does Jesus say? And look at five. Why do we know that, that, that these are his brothers? And why do we know that they don't believe him? Well, because John, once again, tells us. And five, for not even his brothers believed in him. 
His earthly brothers, they're almost mocking him. Well, see, this just shows what kind of strategy is this? Now you're afraid to go because you think you're going to get in trouble. If you really were the son of God and you really were going to do all these things, you'd do it in front of as many people as you possibly could. And then Jesus says to them, clearly, look at 6, for, for my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. So he tells his brothers, my time has not yet come. So, so, so what does he mean by that? It, my time has not come. What this means, my time has not been come to be captured and killed and crucified. And if, and, and if I go when you want me to go, that's what's going to happen. So that time has not come yet. I haven't gotten the signal to tell me when to go. And, 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 he, and he points out, just as always, he says to this, look, he says in 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about, uh, about that it works are evil. I test about, about it that its works are evil. You know what he says to his brothers who don't believe? This is important. You know what he's saying? You're in no danger to be killed by the world and because the world doesn't hate you. And you know why the world doesn't hate you? Because you belong to the world. Hey, can I tell y'all something? Guys, listening, if y'all watching or in the room, you know who the adversary and the world never hates? Are the people who are he already has. Why in the world would the adversary waste time on anybody he already has? Why would the world waste time hating anybody that does what they want them to do? You know, we're, we're, the, I don't know. We have to understand if the Bible says if you follow Jesus, the world will hate you, then it probably will. If Paul says to Timothy, all who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted, you probably will. When, when 1 Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith, that, that, that when gold is, is tested by fire, it perishes, but that your faith won't perish, and it will result in the glorification and the revelation of Jesus Christ. You, you realize the Bible has never been silent that if you are going to be a devout follower of Jesus, the world will hate you. So don't act surprised when it happens. But then what does the Bible say over and over again? But you persevere. You press on. You don't compromise Jesus. You know, there's so many times when we, try, we compromise to the world and we always put it under the guise where we're just trying to live to fight another day. Well, then that means that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should have just done whatever the king told them to do. Well, we, we don't need to die because then we won't be here. Now remember, and I was just talking to a brother a minute ago, let me be clear between the difference between an idiot and a martyr. An idiot goes looking for trouble. And they, almost, they, want, they always want to be in trouble because it brings attention to them. They're, they're out there trying to pick a fight. That's an idiot. A martyr is when they come for you, you won't compromise Jesus. That's a martyr. When they come for you and say, you either do this or you get fired. You either do this, or you get put in jail. You either do this, or we kill you. Now, now that's a martyr. An idiot just goes out looking to pick fights all the time when they're not even necessary. And I have been an idiot before, and I'm hoping to be more like a martyr. And, 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 but, but I can tell you this, they have come for me a few times, and that's when you stand up and say, it's not going to happen. You don't want advertising me? Don't. You don't like what we said about this? Fine. Don't be with us. 
You don't want to put the show on? Don't. You don't want to have a relationship with me? Fine. Now, that's, that's, that's different. We don't go looking for trouble, but we don't compromise Jesus when trouble comes. Everybody with me? And so, so, so Jesus says the reason why you don't have anything to be worried about but going to Judea is because Judea loves you. But they don't love me. He says, and why don't they love me? Everybody got that? Why, why did he say that the world doesn't love him? Because he points out how evil they are. I mean, those are Jesus' words. Can I tell you something? You'll never be effective for the kingdom if you're afraid to talk about sin. I mean, because Jesus talks about it all the time. We've already gone through examples of this. I mean, I, a matter of fact, if, 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 if somebody won't tell you the truth, they don't love you. If somebody won't say, look, you know, biblically, this, right, this, and it's Jesus' standard, it's not mine. Now, you don't become sanctimonious and self-righteous about it. And what do you also do? You make sure you've examined your, your own life pretty good before you start talking about, because what Jesus has to say about somebody else, he's also had to say the same thing about me and you. And the Bible's clear. As long as you have that balance right, I'm going to tell you this. There's a lot of churches out there that draw a lot of people because they're never made to feel uncomfortable. Oh, I can draw a crowd. I, I know how to do it. What you do is just tell people what they want to hear all the time. You patronize them. All you ever talk about. But, but see, you can't give an incomplete resume on Jesus. Amen. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he loves us. But how about this? He's also going to judge us. And he also doesn't tolerate sin. And he says, this is sin. And I point out how evil the world is, so the world hates me. And so he, he goes on and he says this. He says, you go up to the feast, talking about his brothers. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Hey, y'all go on. If y'all want to go to the feast, y'all go. And, and I love this. His earthly brothers can go whenever they want to go because they have no divine timeline. He said, but I'm on a divine timeline. I don't go till my father tells me to go. Y'all go whenever you want to because y'all don't answer to anything yet because you don't even believe. So, so you're not on a divine timeline. Lost people will always act, act like lost people and they'll be reckless and they'll be foolish. You go ahead and go. Because you're not answering to anybody yet. But I got to answer to the Father. And He ain't told me to go yet. So I, I, my brothers can't talk me into it. My, my so-called family can't talk me into it. And you know what Jesus showed us again? Don't let your family take you a place that God don't want you to go. And if they want to go, then you let them go. If they want to live that way, you let them live that way. But you're not going. I'm not going to go to the Father tells me what to do. Why won't you attend that wedding? Because that ain't a real wedding. Well, the family's going. I'm not. Well, that, that's going to upset some people. It'll just have to. I'd rather you be upset with me than God be upset with me. I, if I'm going to have somebody upset with me, I'm going to pick people every time. I'm not going to pick God. Because I've seen what happens when he gets upset, and I don't want any part of that. I'm, I fear God. I'm terrified of God. There was a time I wasn't, but I certainly am. Because the more I've got to know him, I realize he's worthy to be terrified of. Rick, oh, they didn't say that in the Bible. Yes, it does. A lot. It says to be in awe and to dread him if you're on the wrong side of him. 
And so Jesus said, I'm going to do what the Father tells me to do. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. So, so I, I love this too. Remember this too. His earthly brothers, his family, as the world defines family, they were not allowed to set his agenda. Only God set his agenda. So make a note of that as well. So we do find out, though, what? In verse 10, at some point, the father did tell him to go because he goes. But he goes on his father's timeline. So it doesn't tell us when that happened. But look at 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So the father did eventually say, I do want you to go to this. But don't go and do what they told you to do. Go the way I said to do it. And I want you to go privately. And I want you to kind of ease in. And that's the way we're going to do it. So that's exactly what Jesus did because he was here to do what? The will of his father. The brothers wanted public. The father wanted discreet. So guess what he did? He did it discreetly. He was obedient to the Father. The Jews were looking for him at the feast in verse 11 and saying, where is he? So the Jews, that when he talks about this in, in John's talking, he's talking about the Jewish authorities. They're, they're saying, where is he? They expected him to come to the feast because he was an obedient Jewish man and he went to the feast and they knew he would come to it and they, wanted, they thought he'd come make a big production. So they're looking for him and they can't find him and they want to know where he's at. So look at 12 and 13. And there was much murder, uh, muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he, he is leading the people astray. 13, yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. That part's pretty easy. He's saying, look, they're saying, just keep it down about Jesus because the Jewish leaders are very upset about this guy. But they're all sitting around discussing him. And what are they discussing? I think he's great. I don't. I think he's a problem. See, this is that, mu that muttering and grumbling and discussing. We, we don't. Now, let me tell you something. I don't know if y'all have been around, lady. This hasn't ended. You ever been around a group of people and they get talking about Jesus? I think he's a good man, good teacher. Don't know about the miracles. Not sure about that. Uh, eh, is he the only way to heaven? Well, you know, he said he is. I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Well, can you really trust Scripture, though? Do we know that's really what he said? And you, these conversations have never ended. They, they're, they're still going on. That's exactly what's going on here. So this, so, so this is nothing new. And then 14, about the middle of the feast, I mean somewhere in the middle of the, of the, of the seven days. I like that John said about the middle of the feast. John's like, I, I, somewhere in there, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. Now this is interesting. So Jesus is going to go ahead and, um, and go and start teaching inside the temple. Uh, he didn't go the way his brothers wanted him to. He is, he's focused on privacy, but what else is he focused on? Obedience to the Father. Uh, you know why? He's going to have a triumphant entrance, but this isn't it. It's not time for that now. This is not some triumphant. This is, I'm easing in here, and I'm going to get in the temple, and I'm going to start teaching. So listen to what it says next. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? How is it that this man is talking the way he's talking? He has this authority, and, 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 it's, and it's not kind of the authority like the teachers of the law. It's even beyond that. And, and, and John focuses on their astonishment revolving around his lack of formal training. He hasn't had the training that you would normally see for our rabbis. 
We know what the rabbis go through to become these teachers. He's never done that. Where, where did he get this training? Where, where, where did it, it, it come from? Isn't it interesting that this is happening now? You remember back when we studied Acts? What did they say in Acts 4.13 about Peter and John? How are they talking like this? These are not learned men. These are fishermen. And here they are saying the very same thing about Jesus. This guy's teaching. He has all this authority, but he hasn't gotten the authority the way we normally see it done. And then 16, Jesus clarifies. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. My teaching is not my own. The teaching you're hearing, remember what we learned back, back in back, the study of John. What is Jesus telling them back in 6? I'm now the narrator for the Father. The Father and I are equal. So, so if you want to know where my authority comes from, it's from the Father. Because I am God and I'm now, it, it's not a big deal for God to know these things. Because I'm God. And that's where my authority comes from. It's from the one who sent me. And look at 17. So in 17, he says, If anyone, anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. Well, he says, If you do God's will, you will know that I am who I say I am. It's not to be discussed or debated, but it is to be believed by faith. If you desire in your heart to do God's will, then you should be able to discern who I am yourself. But if, if you, you people are who you claim, if you're, if you're God's chosen people, and you know all the things about the Father, then if you truly are doing the will of God, then right now you should see me and know who I am and you should completely discern whether I'm a fake or I'm the real deal. If you really are who you, who you claim to be and you really are as close to God as you claim you are, then you ought to know whether I'm a, a fake or not. Isn't that something? And see, we have to be that way. Look, it, it's, it's so important. Please, especially the men that are, that are part of this right now. And I'm glad that the women join us on, on YouTube and podcasts. But listen, men, the responsibility that we have been given as the spiritual leaders of our home, and I'm trying until my dying day to be sure that no one can ever look to the platform that God gave me and say you can't just tell men to be spiritual leaders when they don't know what that means. And you can't ask people to be a spiritual leader when they don't have the ability to do it. So, so this is important because as we move closer to the return of Jesus, and we're closer today than we were yesterday, as we move to the return of Jesus or your death, we're going to see more false teachers, more false prophets, more garbage and terrible theology, and it is so crucial that we're so ingrained in the Word of God, and we so are connected to Jesus Christ, and we're so driven by the Holy Spirit that the minute that the people we've been given responsibility to have a false teacher feeding them a bunch of garbage, we have to step in and say, that's not true. That, 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 that's a false prophet. That's a false teacher. That is incorrect. And let me tell you something. It should gravely concern us. I don't care how you feel about President Trump. It should gravely concern you that Paula White has been given a position in the White House as the spiritual guru 
for the leader of the free world. That's not a Republican or Democratic comment. That's a Christian comment. You should be gravely concerned about that. That's a false teacher. That's a false teacher. And now that false teacher is speaking into the ear of a, if he's a Christian at all, an infant of the faith. We are in the, the last days. It starts that she's, she's a pastor. We can't even get out of the gate with the right thing. Okay? And now, conveniently, she's sent out to all the people who support her ministry. Be part of these prophetic times. For $3,600, you can be part of these prophetic times. I like how she dumbs it down, though. She, she goes, if you're really strapped financially, we'll take $70. <laughs> Guys, this is who he's listening to. This is who's teaching him the faith. And you should be gravely concerned about that. And you better be able, if the president gets up and says something idiotic that he's heard from this false teacher, you better be able to say that's not true. That's not true about our faith. That's, that's not right. Because that's who's got his ear. Go, go, go Google it for yourself. She was just named in the, uh, uh, the 1st of November. She's been, given, she's been given a position to be, to be the whole spiritual wing of this administration. And that ought to gravely concern you. And if that bothers some of you, get over it. I'm just telling you that's the truth. So, so here, here's, that's what Jesus is saying. You have to be able to discern so you'll know not what, whether Jesus is who he says he is, but anybody who now comes claiming to represent the Father. You've you got to know this stuff. Verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So what does he say? One thing to look for, to be sure the person is, is representing the Father and is really one of us, one thing you look for is they're not trying to bring glory to themselves. They're not. All they're doing is trying to get you and point you to the Father. If you seek to glorify yourself, he is trying to bring glory to himself, not to God. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to point you to, I'm not even trying to bring glory to myself, even though he could. I'm, everything I'm saying is trying to point you to the Father. He says, so if I'm standing here and I keep trying to point you to the Father, how can I be a charlatan? Because you know, they're going to accuse him of having a devil here in a minute and all that. How, how can that be? A, a devil wouldn't get up here and point you to Jehovah. He wouldn't point you to the one and only living God. Everything I'm saying is, is from the Father. I'm trying to bring glory to Him. I'm here to do the will of the Father. I don't do anything but try to point you to Him. If you desire to know who I am, then you should know. The crowd doesn't get it because of the way they are, not because of an, an, an inability for Jesus to do it. You know what he's saying? If you don't get me, and you don't believe in me, it's because you got a problem, not because I'm the problem. I've heard this said a thousand times. If you feel distant from God, He didn't move. You did. You did. Any issue you're having between you and God and feeling like He's not where you thought He would be, what do you say? If you seek me with everything you got, you'll find me. So if I can't find him, 
then I'm not seeking Him. Not to the level that I need to. He didn't hide from us. And what happens is, for most of us, and I used to be this way. Remember everything I tried? Sorry, I hit the microphone there. Everything that I'm telling you, I've lived. Listen, do not ever get the impression that, hey, man, Rick just, he, man, he, he, I wish we'd done all the things the way Rick said. No, you don't want to do things the way I did them. I'm trying to tell you to do them the way the Bible says to do them. I'm telling you to, to, to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, you don't you know, follow the teachings of me. I'm flawed. But what I would do is I would go, all right, I want to seek Jesus. And let's say the drum set's about halfway. This is good with me right here. Now, for me to experience true, true redemption and the power of Jesus is over there at ITAC. But see, I know if I go over there, there's certain things I can't do anymore. And I'm just not sure. I'm trying to find some way. Can I seek Jesus where I kind of know him? I mean, I know kind of few basics, and I think I've done enough not to go to hell, and, and maybe I've been redeemed, and maybe I've been justified. But this whole, my whole life revolves around you that's over there. Well, i got news for you. If I'm only seeking Him right here, then I haven't followed what He said. He said, you seek me with all your heart. You seek me with everything. Well, this is, not, this is kind of half-hearted. Rick, have you really experienced Jesus? Eh. Well, how come? Well, I, I don't want to go over there. I, I, I don't want to do what He said. I don't know about being all in. I want to be somewhat in because I still love the world. Well, that's, that's not all in. And, and that may be why we've never found him, because we haven't truly sought him. So he's saying the same thing. He's saying, if anybody's trying to bring glory to himself, that's a false teacher. But there is no falsehood in the one who is trying to bring glory to God. Now, now look at this. He's going to double down a little bit in 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Then why do you seek to kill me? I mean... Did, did Moses not get up here and, 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 and he says, uh, and you don't keep the law? I mean, you're not keeping God's will. That's why you can't discern that I'm who I claim to be. If you truly were keeping the will of God, you would immediately say, this is him. Moses, everything Moses gave you is pointing to me. And you know, one of the things, think about this. He puts the part in there, why you're seeking to kill me. He said, if you want to murder me, then you know you don't keep the law. Because the law forbids you to murder me. You're not supposed to just murder somebody because they make you mad. But yet some of y'all want to kill me. And y'all claim that y'all are keeping the law, that y'all following what Moses told you about my father. And in and, and Psalms 40, verse 8, write that down. Psalms 40, verse 8. He says, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. So then, as soon as they hear this, because he brings up Moses, y'all not even keeping what Moses said. No wonder y'all can't discern who I am. Once again, this is, these are kind of divisive words. They're, they're not received very well. Look at verse 20. And I, I put down on my notes today, they played the demon card. Verse 20. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? You have a demon. You know, you've upset us, you've convicted us, it must be a demon because you're not saying what we want you to say. What theme is continuing here? You won't be who we want you to be. You're not being who we want you to be. And we don't know what to do with it, so all else fails, what do we do? See, the mob mentality and the cancel mentality where we cancel people out, it was alive and well here. 
We don't like what you said. You got a demon, we cancel you. You, demon. They just throw it out nowhere. And then Jesus says in 21 through 24, listen to this. I did one work and you all marveled at it. He's now going back to the, the man by the pool that he, that he healed. I sure was a big deal then. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's, it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. Remember when I did that miracle and then all of a sudden y'all start getting on me about the fact that I did work on the Sabbath? Now, wait a minute. Y'all say that a male should be circumcised on the eighth day, period. So what if that eighth day fell on the Sabbath? Did y'all circumcise him? The answer is yes. And so you're telling me that healing a, a man on the Sabbath, that that's not keeping the Sabbath? Well, if we, we define it the way you've defined it, you shouldn't have circumcised those male babies either. But you did. You see what he's doing? Well, wait a minute. There's a terrible inconsistency in the way you live and the way you're telling me I should live. And, 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 he, and he's called them out for this. He goes, I do this work, and you guys get on me, but yet you yourself are circumcising children on the eighth day. 23rd, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. He said, nothing wrong with judgment. You just got to get it right. Remember, he tells us this in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get you know, in, in Matthew. Oh, it's okay to judge. Just judge correctly. Remove the log from your own eye. Then you can see clearly. Remove the speck from your brother's eye. But you've got to be consistent here. Now, can we circumcise on the, on, on the Sabbath or not? And if we can, we can certainly heal a man on the Sabbath. You know what he's saying is, y'all have become so legalistically, you can't, you've collided with yourself. It's the law to circumcise on the eighth day. It's supposed to be the law not to do anything on the Sabbath. What about these babies that their eighth day is a Sabbath? What do you do? See, he's twisting them in their own circle. And he says, so if you're going to judge, you need to judge correctly. What you should have done is thought that through before you start accusing me of breaking the Sabbath. And this goes back to, is to be sure that when we are passing judgment off on somebody that we know what we're talking about. And we also be sure that we're not violating something ourselves that, that we're talking about. So, mere appearances are not what we're supposed to judge. He's saying stay away from self-righteous legalism. If you want to judge correctly, you judge under the authority of the Father. And you certainly can call sin, sin. But you be sure you know what you're talking about. And be sure you've looked at your own self to be sure there's no inconsistencies there. Now we get to 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man whom they seek to kill? Is not this the man that, who they seek to kill? And, and here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Hmm. It's a really interesting thing that the, the people say there. Why are they not arresting him? There he is. This is the guy they've been looking for. He didn't come to the feast in a public way. They found him over in the temple. He's teaching. We're all kind of in awe of the things he's saying. He keeps giving us shut up juice every time we try to take him on something. 
And, but he is here. If y'all want to arrest him, go arrest him. Could, are they not arresting him because maybe they're starting to realize he is the Christ? If he's not the Christ, get him. And so, so this is an interesting dilemma. And they're going as far as to say, but we know that where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So we know where this guy is. Do we have that right? 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from? Question. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So he's saying, y'all think y'all know where I came from? I came from heaven. I didn't come from Bethlehem and I didn't come from Nazareth. I'm not from the Galilee region. If you really want to know where I came from, I came from heaven. Do you know this? Because if you know this, then you wouldn't be saying the things that you're saying. He's trying to say, you can't, don't try to play that card that I'm not fulfilling prophecy by you think that you, just because you know where my mother, earthly mother and father lived. But you really don't know where I came from. You don't fully understand who I am. And then 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. Temple guards, sort of a, a temple police, they were drawn from the Levites. And, and so they, 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 put, they brought them over. That always means, hey, we got trouble in the temple. And they had kind of like, you know, kind of, well, this, for, raise your hand if you go to Shades Mountain in here. This is their Neil Bird. Okay, so, so anyway, that's an inside joke, and it is hilarious, by the way. But anyway, so, so the, the temple guards come over. They're from the Levites, and they're kind of the, the, the temple force. But they're there, but they don't get him. So, so they've been brought to come over. And, and, and he says that, you know, that, that, that when, when the, the Christ appears, he will do more signs than, than this man has done. So they're saying now that they're not sure whether he's the Christ. They don't know why. He has not been arrested. He said, now they won't lay a hand on him because the hour had not come. Look at 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, what, what, what the Christ appears, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So, so, so the guards come. They don't grab him. Why? Because the Father won't let them. It's not time. How about this? Remember this always. Let's make you love Jesus even more. And he says it when he talks to Pilate. Jesus Christ is in charge of this the entire time. Jesus lays down his own life. Nobody takes it from him. He raises it up again. Remember we said to Pilate, nobody here has authority over me. Any authority that you'll be given, like right now, if the Father wanted you to arrest me, he'd allow it. But he's not. And then you know what the people saying? All right, look, they're not arresting him. We know these, these signs and wonders that he's done. If Christ comes and this isn't him, what else is Christ going to do bigger than this guy's already done? You know what they're saying? What else do we have to see? What would be bigger than what we've already seen? And I think we have to ask ourselves this question. If, if you're watching this, you're listening to this, or you're in this room, what else does Jesus have to do for you to believe in Him? What else? L look at your life rejecting Him. How's that going? 
Well, what else does Jesus have to do for you other than going to the cross saying, I'll forgive you of all sin. I will offer you a peace that is supernatural and defies all logic. And even when you're going through the roughest and terrible times, you'll have joy in your heart because I've truly overcome the world. I've actually, I offer redemption. Everything you've ever done, I will see it no more. I went to the cross so you didn't have to go. I defeated eternal death so you don't have to die. And, and I've done all this, and you know what we need to be saying? What else does he have to do? <laughs> what else does he have to do? If he never did another thing for us but the cross, he's done more than enough. What, what's so difficult about this? So the people are saying the same thing. So then the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. That's these temple guards I'm telling you about. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So Jesus knows when these temple guards show up that the cross is near, and it will be soon that he'll go back to the Father. And, 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 he, and, and, and now they're thinking that what he's talking about, and you'll see here in a minute, that he's going to leave this area and just go over and start preaching to the Greeks so he won't be in danger, or the Greek-speaking Jews. That's what they, they think he's talking about. They don't think he's talking about what he really is talking about. What he's saying is, I'm about to complete my time here, and then I'm going to the Father. Now, this is important. If you're watching and listening to this, you're in the room. Okay? Don't miss that Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come. What, what he is saying there is right now, when I go there, you can't come. But you know what else he's saying? And those of you that reject what I'm going to do, you'll never be able to come to me. Where I'm going, you won't ever get there. You're going to look for me and I'm going to be gone. Your, your, your window will have closed and you rejected the salvation that I required. And you can't come where I'm going. Because my father's holy. And if you're not with me, you don't get to go. So, on the last day of the feast, the great, uh, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, who those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, I'm running out of time a little bit, but I'm going to try to get this for you. Picture, you got to picture this because what Jesus just said is such a cool uh, visual. On the last day of the feast, what he's talking about, the great day, there, 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 was, a, there was a flagon this is a, that they filled with water. And, and, and they got it out of the, 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 the pool of Siloam. And then they would start this procession led by the high priest back to the temple holding this water that they got out. And they were going to take it in as a sacrifice of, of the harvest and, and for water being provided. And Jesus is now, as this, he, this is happening, and Jesus says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. See this ritual you're seeing right now? This is, all, this is all pointing to me. I'm the living water. He's already made this analogy before. And he says, but if you come and drink of me and you, and you believe what the scriptures have said about me, out of your heart will be continuous flowing a river of living water. That, of course, will be his presence, the Holy Spirit, as John 
uh, tells us. Jesus points that he is a river of living water, meaning that when, remember when he said, it's good that I go? When we get to Acts chapter 2, you know, Acts chapter 1, hey, it's good that I go. Why? Because, boy, we got a game changer coming. There's now going to be a river of flowing water, the flowing of my presence in your spirit, and my presence will be with you always. And we've talked about this before, and y'all pray for me. I'm working on some curriculum to go with this. We've got to understand that in Acts chapter 2, when this river of flowing water comes, of living water, it's a game changer, and the standard for followers of Jesus is raised. Then the example becomes how these followers of Jesus acted when they got the Spirit. And let me tell you something. They didn't run from little girls by the fire anymore. They didn't run from authorities. They didn't flee from danger. They weren't afraid to be martyred, and they wouldn't compromise Jesus for anybody, anywhere, anytime. That's our standard. Not anything prior and the way people behave prior, the way the church behaved after Acts chapter 2 is our current standard. And if you're still living by the standard of those who didn't receive the Holy Spirit, it's probably because you don't have it. Because it's a game changer, according to the words of Jesus. But he says, the Holy Spirit is not ready to be poured out on my church yet because I have not yet fulfilled everything I need to do. 40. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others says, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? That's important, isn't it? 43. So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officer's answer is, no one ever spoke like this guy. You know what these officers are saying? Hey, why didn't y'all grab him? Which means they were told to. Yeah, you weren't there. I don't know about grabbing this guy. No one ever talked like this. <clears throat> so look how many times that God's being gracious even to these leaders. Don't do this. I'm trying to show you over and over again who I am. Don't do this. You know, when they finally do come get him in the garden, and when he says, I am he, and it knocks him down, would that not have been a game changer for you? I think I'll roll on after that. Hey, keep me out of the army. Whatever you got to do, I ain't grabbing this guy. All he said was that he was who we, we were looking for, and it knocked us down. But anyway, sometimes, though, we're just bullheaded, aren't we? We're going to crucify Jesus no matter what. And, and let me tell you something. They don't have the corner marking on this. We do it all the time. He said, so, um, but the crowd, um, he, the Pharisees answered them, have, have you also been deceived? Has this guy gotten to you too? Has he deceived you? Look at 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Hey, we sent some guys over there. Are they, are they all in too? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, remember, what does it mean to be born again? Who was one of them said, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and, and learning what he's done? Nicodemus says, hey, Y'all can't, can't do this. Y'all acting like you're followers of the law. You're, you're accursed because you're not following protocol. Does our law not require that we got to go interview this guy and let him speak for himself? You can't just go grab him and kill him. That's not what the law allows. And then they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Talking to Nicodemus. Are, are, you, are you from this region? Is this your area? 
And I, and I love that. I mean, they, they, keep on, they keep on talking about this. They mock him. And you know what they say to him next, though, and we'll close on this? Hey, Nicodemus, why don't you search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee? Go check on that. This, this guy's claiming a lot of stuff. We know where he's from. Is, this, is Galilee in play in prophecy? Why don't you go check on that? Now, what did they say up in 42, though? I think it was 42. Doesn't Messiah come from the line of David? Isn't he supposed to come from Bethlehem? Well, we're going to find out that he did. But I love how they leave it with Nicodemus. Let's, let's all calm down. Go get us some more information on this guy. Well, let me ask you this. How, how many times in your life have you had that happen? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about Jesus and, and um, I've heard a lot of information about him. But, you know, I'm still kind of checking on it. Any of y'all in here? I'm coming to the Bible studies. I'm kind of kicking the tires on Jesus a little bit. I'm going to check in on this. Well, how much longer? How, how much more do you need to know about Jesus? Are, are, you just, are you really, really, truly seeking him, or are you just keep saying that as a delay? Because let me tell you what, what the adversary will do. If you're in this room or you're watching, you're listening, let me tell you what the adversary will do. If you've made the efforts you've made to be part of the study of God's Word that we've been doing in here for any amount of time, because any amount of time in that Word is going to start drawing you to Him. It's just that powerful. So Satan may be done with trying to convince you that Jesus isn't who He says He is. He's too far gone now. I mean, if he tries to convince you this is all hogwash, you keep coming here and you keep listening, you keep watching. So he realizes, I don't know that I can make that case anymore. I think you, you're too far gone now. But let me tell you what he will do. Just not today. Just not today. Just put it off. You're under conviction right now. It's uncomfortable. You're about to go back to work. You're about to go back to whatever you're doing before you start watching this or listening to this. Just go on back to your life. Yeah, Jesus may be the Son of God, and certainly you may need to be redeemed. You may not be justified, and you probably need to be justified. You probably need to repent of your sin. You probably need to submit to His authority. Just not today. Just keep checking on it. Just keep coming to Bible studies. Keep reading. Keep, keep doing it. Talk to some more people. Just keep clinging to that sin. Keep clinging to whatever it is that's in conflict with him. Keep on letting it be salve for you. Let it numb you a little bit longer. Now, Jesus is better than all that. And one day, you'll experience that. But not today. Just put it off at another day. If that's your attitude, that comes straight from the pits of hell. Or it comes straight from your flesh that keeps saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And, 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 then God, and then Jesus says, deny yourself, die to self, and follow me. Well, we can't have funerals without dead people. And maybe today's the day you just need to die. So we can finally have that funeral for you, and that old you will die. You submit to the authority of Jesus, repent of your sins, and he'll make you new. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for the conviction. Thank you for, for this historical moment as we're watching and, and, and listening. Lord, I do pray if there's anybody in this room or there's anybody watching and listening to this, that, that just like these people, they keep hearing you, they keep looking at you, they keep testing you, and they've come to the conclusion that you are exactly who you say you are. But that means that you offer redemption, which is incredible good news. That right now they would just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I submit to your authority in everything. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I believe that you are salvation. I believe that you are my Savior. I believe that you redeemed me on the cross. And Lord, I, I receive the gift that God has provided in you. And I don't know much about you yet. I can't wait to know more. But today I'm going to be justified. Lord Jesus, please save me. I believe in my heart and I, and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe that you rose out of the grave on the third day. You ascended to the Father and that you have paid for my sins. And I ask that you forgive me. I want to be with you. I want to be part of your family. The Bible says if you're sincere in your heart, nobody knows that but you, that you, that you have been and will be saved. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.